Chapter Eight of Book Five of Les Miserables, Volume Five by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Les Miserables, Volume Five by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Five. Chapter Eight: Two Men Impossible to Find. Marius's enchantment, great as it was, could not efface from his mind other preoccupations. While the wedding was in preparation, and while awaiting the date fixed upon, he caused difficult and scrupulous retrospective researches to be made. He owed gratitude in various quarters. He owed it on his father's account. He owed it on his own. There was Thernadere. There was the unknown man who had brought him, Marius, back to Monsieur Guillemond. Marius endeavored to find these two men, not intending to marry, to be happy, and to forget them, and fearing that, were their depths of gratitude not discharged, they would leave a shadow in his life which promised so brightly for the future. It was impossible for him to leave all these arrears of suffering behind him and he wished before entering joyously into the future to obtain acquittance from the past. That Thernadere was a villain detracted nothing from the fact that he had saved Colonel Pontmercy. Thernadere was a ruffian in the eyes of all the world except Marius, and Marius, ignorant of the real scene in the battlefield of Waterloo, was not aware of the peculiar detail that his father, so far as Thernadier was concerned, was in the strange position of being indebted to the latter for his life without being indebted to him for any gratitude. None of the various agents whom Marius employed succeeded in discovering any trace of Thernadier. Obliteration appeared to be complete in that quarter. Madame Thernadier had died in prison pending the trial. Thernadier and his daughter Azelma, the only two remaining of that lamentable group, had plunged back into the gloom. The gulf of the social unknown had silently closed above those beings. On the surface there was not visible so much as that quiver, that trembling, those obscure concentric circles which announce that something has fallen in, and that the plummet may be dropped. Madame Thernadier being dead, Boulatrelle being eliminated from the case, Closquesos having disappeared, the principal persons accused having escaped from prison, the trial connected with the ambush in the Gorbeau house had come to nothing. That affair had remained rather obscure. The bench of Assises had been obliged to content themselves with two subordinates, Panchard, alias Prontenaire, alias Bourguignel, and Demilaird, alias Dumillard, who had been inconsistently condemned after a hearing of both sides of the case, to ten years in the galleys. Hard labor for life had been the sentence pronounced against the escaped and contumacious accomplices. Thernadere, the head and leader, had been, through contumacy, likewise condemned to death. This sentence was the only information remaining about Thernadere, casting upon that buried name its sinister light like a candle beside a bier. Moreover, by thrusting Thernadere back into the very remotest depths, through a fear of being recaptured, this sentence added to the density of the shadows which enveloped this man. As for the other person, as for the unknown man who had saved Marius, 
The researches were at first to some extent successful, and then came to an abrupt conclusion. They succeeded in finding the carriage which had brought Marius to the Rue des Filets de Calvaire in the evening of the 6th of June. The coachman declared that on the 6th of June, in obedience to the commands of a police agent, he had stood from three o'clock in the afternoon until nightfall in the Quai du Champs-Élysées above the outlet of the Grand Sewer, that toward nine o'clock in the evening the grating of the sewer which abuts on the bank of the river had opened, that a man had emerged therefrom, bearing on his shoulders another man, who seemed to be dead, that the agent who was on the watch at that point had arrested the living man and had seized the dead man, that at the order of the police agent he, the coachman, had taken all those folks into his carriage, that they had first driven to the Rue des Filets de Calvaire, that they had there deposited the dead man, that the dead man was Monsieur Marius, and that he, the coachman, recognized him perfectly, although he was alive this time, that afterwards they had entered the vehicle again, that he had whipped up his horses a few paces from the gates of the archives, they had called him to halt, that there in the street they had paid him and left him, and that the police agent had led the other man away, that he knew nothing more, that the night had been very dark. Marius, as we have said, recalled nothing. He only remembered that he had been seized from behind by an energetic hand at the moment when he was falling backwards into the barricade. Then everything vanished so far as he was concerned. He had only regained consciousness at Monsieur Gillenormand's. He was lost in conjectures. He could not doubt his own identity. Still, how could it have come to pass that, having fallen in the Rue de Chauvier, he had been picked up by the police agent on the banks of the Seine, near the Pont des Invalides? Someone had carried him from the Quartier des Halles to the Champs-Élysées, and how? Through the sewer. Unheard of devotion. Someone? Who? This was the man for whom Marius was searching. Of this man, who was his saviour, nothing, not a trace, not the faintest indication. Marius, although forced to preserve great reserve in that direction, pushed his inquiries as far as the prefecture of police. There, no more than elsewhere, did the information obtained lead to any enlightenment. The prefecture knew less about the matter than did the hackney coachman. They had no knowledge of any arrest having been made on the 6th of June at the mouth of the Grand Sewer. No report of any agent had been received there upon this matter, which was regarded at the prefecture as a fable. The invention of this fable was attributed to the coachman. A coachman who wants a gratuity is capable of anything, even of imagination. The fact was assured, nevertheless, and Marius could not doubt it, unless he doubted his own identity, as we have just said. Everything about this singular enigma was inexplicable. What had become of that man, that mysterious man whom the coachman had seen emerge from the grating of the Grand Sewer, bearing upon his back the unconscious Marius, and whom the police agent on the watch had arrested in the very act of rescuing an insurgent? What had become of the agent himself? Why had this agent preserved silence? Had the man succeeded in making his escape? Had he bribed the agent? Why did this man give no sign of life to Marius, who owed everything to him? His disinterestedness was no less tremendous than his devotion. 
Why had not that man appeared again? Perhaps he was above compensation, but no one is above gratitude. Was he dead? Who was the man? What sort of a face had he? No one could tell him this. The coachman answered. The night was very dark. Basque and Nicolette, all in a flutter, had looked only at their young master, all covered with blood. The porter, whose candle had lighted the tragic arrival of Marius, had been the only one to take note of the man in question, and this is the description that he gave. That man was terrible. Marius had the blood-stained clothing which he had worn when he had been brought back to his grandfather preserved, in the hope that it would prove of service in his researches. On examining the coat it was found that one skirt had been torn in a singular way. A piece was missing. One evening Marius was speaking in the presence of Cosette and Jean Valjean of the whole of that singular adventure, of the innumerable inquiries which he had made, and of the fruitlessness of his efforts. The cold countenance of Monsieur Fauchelevent angered him. He exclaimed with a vivacity which had something of wrath in it, "'Yes, that man, whoever he may have been, was sublime. Do you know what he did, sir?' He intervened like an archangel. He must have flung himself into the midst of the battle, have stolen me away, have opened the sewer, have dragged me into it, and have carried me through it. He must have traversed more than a league and a half in those frightful subterranean galleries, bent over, weighed down, in the dark, in the cesspool, more than a league and a half, sir, with a corpse upon his back. And with what object? with the sole object of saving the corpse, and that corpse I was. He said to himself, there may still be a glimpse of life there, perchance. I will risk my own existence for that miserable spark, and his existence he risked not only once, but twenty times. Every step there was danger. The proof of it is that on emerging from the sewer he was arrested. Do you know, sir, that that man did all this? and he had no recompense to expect? What was I, an insurgent? What was I, one of the conquered? Oh, if Cosette's six hundred thousand francs were mine! They are yours, interrupted Jean Valjean. Well, resumed Marius, I would give them all to find that man once more. Jean Valjean remained silent. End of chapter 8, book 5 Reading by Joyce Martin